0: It's around the house. But for next year, if they're going to go, hey, this rest of the summer, I'm going to get ready for spring.
1: Yes. Figure out what you like to eat first, you know, grow what you like to eat. Like, like um, I'm not, I'm not an eggplant lover. I'm just thinking about that because I'm looking at, I'm looking at my big garden right now and I grow eggplant because it's a beautiful plant to grow, but I don't get really excited about the harvest part. So (laughs) I don't give it as much attention as I do my tomatoes, which are my, you know, my ultimate thing. And yet, yeah, and yet they're not that easy to grow. You know, people talk about, well, just grow some tomatoes. And, you know, sometimes blind luck will help you have some awesome tomatoes. But along the way, especially if you live in a hot, humid area like I do, there's a heck of a lot of diseases and challenges and bugs and things that want your tomatoes too. So to your point is grow. Think about what you want to eat, first of all.
0: When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. But we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B. This is where we talk home improvement and gardening today every single week. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Caroline.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome.
0: This is going to be a lot of fun today. We have got... A legend in the studio. If you're a podcaster, you've probably caught the Joe Gardner show out there. If you love television, maybe you caught him on growing a greener world. Joe Gardner, Joe Lample, welcome Ooh.
1: to Around the House. Oh, man, thank you so much. I love it. I love being here. I appreciate the invitation, and I am ready to talk gardening or whatever else you want to talk about. I'm ready.
0: We <laughs> <laughs> love it. Excellent. Good. Excellent. Well, you, it, it, you know, we're in the middle of July right now. We're in July. It's kind of starting to get to that time of the year where... It's not like you're starting gardens right now typically. You're you're maintaining <laughs> and this is the time where people go out on vacations and Yeah. What are some of the seasonal things you're seeing right now in gardening in, you know, kind of this mid mid to late
1: July time of year? You know, Eric, one one of the things that I've noticed this year here where I am in Atlanta, Georgia, but our audience, our students, they're all over the country and beyond, but we have office hours every week with with some of our students and we get a sense and a pulse of you know, what they're going through right now, we're all talking about the weather and the heat and the <laughs> either the lack of rain or the excessive rain, but all blended in there is the heat. And so, no two years, the, the bottom line conclusion that we had, you know, just a call today was no two years are the same and this year is unlike any other in the, in the heat. And so, it's kind of like triage or survival mode more than anything else right now. As we come into mid-July, uh, it's crazy with the heat, you know, just trying to keep the plants alive. And it's not like, and because this year's so unique, it's not like we've just got a lot of experience with this excessive heat and what to do about it. And, you know, there's nothing we can do about the weather anyway. We can't change it. So we just got to try to figure out how to get our plants and our tomatoes and our stuff that we're waiting for it to ripen to the point that we can get it before Mother Nature takes it down.
0: Man, we fought that. I live in the Pacific Northwest, so I'm up here in Portland, <laughs> Oregon. Last year mm. we had that. I mean, it was late yes. June. We had one day, it was 116 degrees. It just, you know, baked everything. My rhododendrons look like I'd put them in an oven. You know, nothing was happy up here. And this year is the exact opposite. You guys have Mm. the heat. We have had Mm. record rains all the way up through June. We still have probably had just a handful of 90 degree days. Haven't gotten up into the hundreds like we did last year in June. And it's it's a cool year for us. So it's Mm. crazy how... Across the country, you know, Caroline will be sitting there dying over there in Jersey. And I'm out here going, I got my heater on. Oh.
2: Our Jersey tomatoes oh. are frying up right now. We've got 90 degrees and yes. it's like 100% relative humidity every day. Uh. And I tried to tell Eric, Joe, you need to tell him that we do. <laughs> ha- we are a garden state in New Jersey, though. He doesn't even believe me. He thinks we're not. <laughs> but we do have some luscious, luscious stuff going on here.
1: Yeah. You can't beat the Jersey tomatoes. I will say that we've Mm -hmm. been up there filming a few episodes and, Oh my gosh, uh you the, you get the Garden State name, uh yeah. honestly, it's it's you deserve it. It's some good stuff up there. But, you know, right now it's like walking out into an oven is what it's like for a lot of yeah. us. And it sounds like that's the way it is for you, Caroline. Mhm.
2: I did some blueberry yeah. picking uh last week and Eric made fun of me cuz I came back into the studio and my mouth was like so purple <laughs> and my teeth for days. And I'm saying, "Why is it?" So maybe you can explain this Joe. Why is a blueberry, you eat it in the grocery store, it does not turn your mouth blue, but you go out blueberry picking in this like luscious organic, like farm of all blueberries and my teeth were so blue. Is it the nutrients? (laughs) Is it what's going on?
1: You know, that's a really good question. But you know, why is why is um, a lot of the stuff we get in the grocery store uh, represented as what we like a tomato? Let me just turn the tables on you just a little bit and maybe there's a relation to the blueberry story here too but the, the way that I think about it all the time and the big thing that got me was was uh I was reading uh I was reading a book and the author of the book was following this this flatbed this semi-truck that you know was open open topped and he saw all these green orbs in the back of it and it's like, he's like following it down. He's in Florida. He's following it for miles. He goes, what are those green balls? And then finally one <laughs> fell out of the truck and it rolled down the road. And he, he, he followed the rolling thing down the road. And when it stopped, he pulled over and got out and looked at it. And finally he picked it up. And he realized it was a tomato. <laughs> so this truckload of these round, like cue balls, only green cue yeah. balls were tomatoes destined for grocery stores all over the country. And as it turns out. He, from that, he wrote a book called Tomato Land and he did investigative reporting okay. on the tomato industry because the majority of the tomatoes that we buy across the country off season are come out of Florida. But here's the thing that I'm getting to, and that is the quality control specs on those tomatoes includes uniformity of size and, tr- and travel ability, you know, the shipability and the durability and all that. But there's not one item on that checklist about flavor. And so you get them to the grocery store, they're green, they're as hard as a rock, you gas them with nitric oxide and eventually they turn red, but they don't have any flavor and the color is kind of induced. It's not brought on naturally. So anyway, all that to say, that's why you get a flavorless tomato, you know, off season in the grocery store and maybe why the- Blueberries, blueberries that look blue in the grocery store don't aren't maybe they're not really blue you know, Maybe <laughs> that's an artificial. <laughs> thing. well
0: it's true i mean awesome. you know i've been around i grew up in eastern washington so we had a lot of food processing plants and you start looking at a lot of the stuff coming in depending on what they're doing but it's like there's waxes and
1: polishes and all these uh, things yeah. that
0: are going on things like apples and yes and all that stuff out there that is not on your tree or plant out in the backyard
1: yeah, and there's the Dirty Dozen too. So there's that list of twelve crops that are um, so sprayed with every kind of pesticide and chemical possible to keep it alive and pest-free and get it to the grocery store. That by the time you get it, I mean you better wash the heck, better wash the <laughs> heck out of it. What's the uh, worst? You consume
2: it. What's the worst though? Like I always sh- thought the sh- apple sh- is sh- the worst, but.
1: I think strawberries are the worst. Mm. If I recall, I was afraid you were going to ask me what's on that list, but I think strawberries are really bad. Peaches are really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the soft, those soft ones where they yeah, don't have yeah, a, yeah. a layer out there to really
0: the know, sweet, soft, them.
1: juicy ones are the yeah. really bad ones. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think they had
1: I'm a surprised. recall on
2: strawberries recently, right? So we're seeing. I mean, and maybe this is a question for you. We're seeing a lot of salmonella outbreak. We're seeing a lot of this listeria mm. stuff happening. Is that a, pro- a product of gardening? Is it a product of Not cleaning the vegetables, bringing them in, and then them being contaminated. I mean, is there any is there any truth to any of that?
1: Well, I think the the root cause of that oftentimes is in the irrigation in the Mm -hmm. fields and where that water is coming from, and you know that that bacteria, those pathogens can find their way into the water supply and onto the plants. And there's also pathogens that live in the soil that can be dangerous as well. And the water can cause them to get up onto the foliage and into the fruit or up through the roots into the plant and therefore transferred into what we eat. And so, uh, you know, it's it, try as they might, you know, they do everything they can to try to avoid that. But sometimes it's just beyond their control. And it's, yeah. it's unfortunate, but we find out the hard way when somebody gets sick and, um, and then they have to just trash everything that they, you know, was in that supply chain.
0: Yeah, Caroline, life, right? I've seen this when I, when I grew up, we had a bunch of those federal hydroelectric projects where they put mm. the irrigation out across, you know, in our state's out here. And they're basically just big, wide open trenches filled with pumped in water out of a river or a lake. Yeah. The problem is, is the water, when it starts out is really cool, clean water, but by the time it goes past the feedlot with the cows in it and through the the apple orchards and the corn and everything else, and there's plain spray. By the time it comes out at the other end, which could be 10 or 15 miles later, it yeah. looks like brown green sewage water coming out there. Mm. And that's just because
1: of all the stuff it's caught along the way. No question about it. And just the fecal matter from the wildlife that may find its way into the watersheds of the aquifer that merges with the water that was used to irrigate the crops. And that's, that's my point. I mean, it, you never know where it's ultimately coming from or how it got there, but it does. And there's so many pathways for that to happen.
0: Yeah. When I was a yeah. kid, we'd always have that, you had two water systems in the house that we had. You had the <laughs> irrigation water and that. And, you know, you're 10 or 12 and you're getting a drink out of the hose and my mom's running out there going, no, <laughs> don't drink that, you know, it's water, you know, so yeah. that's, That'll probably explain why I grow a third arm or something later on in life. But, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. You always wonder when you, when you come up on those spigots or something and there's a sign by that says not potable water, don't drink <laughs> you it. But, drink. You know, you wonder how many times you've come up on those things where you've drank the water from it and somebody just didn't have the sign there where there should have been that sign. But exactly. you know, here we are today and we we live to tell about it. I don't know <laughs> when it's going to hit, but anyway. Absolutely.
0: Well, I wanted to ask you just on a, on a professional level here, before we dive into gardening, how is it to do a podcast, you know, like this and then do TV as well? Cause you've also got that big TV show going across yeah. the country.
1: Well, you know, my, my real love is audio. And so, hmm. um, that's that's always been my thing. Even as a kid, you know, you got your you started off with your tape recorder, and then it goes to podcasting became a thing. Eric, yeah, yeah. Eric yeah, exactly. and I were the same. But we had like,
2: the, the FCC license at sixteen. Our high schools like we had radio stations. <laughs> oh, so that's so I agree cool. with you, a hundred percent.
1: Yep. Yeah. I and here's the other thing about audio. Um, you know, you're you're in their ears when somebody's listening to you. It's intimate because they have to they have to visualize. You know, they're hearing you, but then it's kind of like reading a book. You know. I almost like that sometimes better than the movie because you're reading the book, but then it's up to your minds, your imagination to visualize what you're reading. And just like with audio, you hear the voice, but then you're trying to picture what that person looks like and the setting and the background. So to me, it just, it, it, it engages a lot of your senses that I don't think vi- audio, I mean, video does because you're just seeing it. You don't have to really think through it because it's all right there in front and center in front of you. But audio, yeah. that's just so real. So it's the theater anyway. of the mind, I love it. Mm-hmm. There we go. So anyway, that was a that was uh, you know, and podcasting came around around 2008, and I was an early adopter there. I had you know Same. I was right on top of that. Uh, but then television, I was what you know all the time. I had my love of audio, and I, that's never left me. You know, I'm watching the gardening shows, and uh, had never been on television before. And, and then an opportunity came along. Somebody contacted me because they heard I knew my stuff with horticulture. And DIY Network was starting a new gardening show. And they had everything mapped out except the host. And they knew who they were looking for, but they did a national search. And uh, somebody got the, uh, the email that then was forwarded to me and said, you need to contact this producer. You're the guy they're looking for. They just don't know it. Amazing. And, uh, Long story short, through a big national search uh, in many many weeks, uh, I was the one that eventually got picked to do that, and uh, it was crazy because I was That's thrown amazing. out. <laughs> yeah, I was thrown out into the field in my my Levi's and my golf shirt or whatever it was they wanted me to wear, and and for the next three years, I I lived out in a garden teaching people how to grow food for that series called fresh from the garden. And it was supposed mm-hmm. to only be one year and, f- and 26 episodes.
2: They loved but you. But the show
1: was going Thanks. so well. It, it went to three years and 52 episodes and they wanted oh, to gosh. keep it going. If I could talk about stuff we hadn't talked about before, but by the time you do 52 episodes, you've talked about everything you could possibly grow and eat. So we were, yeah. Yeah. we had to retire the show. Fortunately though, it, the TV opportunities continued from there. So that's, yeah, a, that's a story. You're a star. There you go. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It's,
0: it's cool. And, and going to TV, that's a whole, you know, people that have done podcasting and audio stuff, it's a whole different world when that camera turns on
1: that you have to, it's a whole new bike to ride. It is. And, and the way that, you know, the, everything's so regimented with a time, like I remember DIY, every, every A-roll, every on-camera speaking thing was timed to the second. And I mean, you couldn't be a second over or a second under because when they all piece it together and fit in the commercials, it had to be exactly that. But the thing about TV that really helped with the podcast is in making sure that I was telling the story or, and thinking about putting myself in the viewer or the listener's perspective. So mm-hmm. if I'm the host asking the questions on my podcast, I'm thinking the whole time, well, what is the listener wanting to know right now? And asking the questions because- Somehow television got me thinking that way. You know, how do you tell that story in a concise period of time? Even though you have the visuals to do it, you really have to be tight with your segments because you only have so much time to do it. So you, you have to really think through communicating that. And I guess I just applied that into podcasting and, and it's, uh, it's, it's really made our podcast top. The top gardening show out there, so you're crushing Eric's, it out there. Eric's man. good at <laughs> I mean. doing that too.
2: The two of you, Eric's yeah. excellent with timing, and he does a lot of video, and so uh, he's really good at that short. Blue, he's done tons of TV too. So the two of you, yeah. kudos, nice, yeah, nice, nice.
0: Yeah, you awesome. know how it goes. It's just like, all right, let's go. You know, and and. Sometimes, you know, I'd much rather just roll versus scripted personally, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd much rather just, I know my stuff, I know what I'm talking about, but sometimes they want to get that stuff dialed in. So you have, you know, one minute and 58 seconds to knock something out, then it's, then you have to start thinking backwards.
1: (laughs) But don't you think Eric, when you, when it's live and it, and it counts, you know, there's not a do over. It's like you, you're sharp, you're on your game (sighs) because you know, it's got, you got to make it count. And it's just somehow you channel all of that inner talent and it comes out and you nail it you versus have my
0: secret. That's my secret. <laughs> Seriously. When I, when yeah. I'm, re- when I'm recording, everybody called me one take. Cause I always yeah. pretended in my head that it was live. Yeah. Then, then, yeah. because then I don't go, Oh, let's do that
1: again. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, like cause the you, you let yourself off the hook. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I, 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 re- I relate to that because uh, you know, I was doing a bunch of those morning shows, the Today Show and Good Morning America. When you're out there live on the plaza, and it there is there are no do overs, you know, and <laughs> it's three minutes, and no. and you're gotta nail it, <laughs> and uh, and those never made me nervous, and I always look forward to them, and I always I always felt like I was doing I was at my best on those versus any of the pre recorded stuff. And there's a good rush with that stuff too. Yeah, there is. <laughs> yes, I like the is. live too, like
2: the questions. I do a lot of serious radio, but I love live, right? So if they throw people yeah. out there asking me questions just off the cuff, that's where I thrive. And I love yeah. that.
1: Well, yeah. and you know, I think the audience loves that too, cause it's real. I mean, you're, you don't have time to think up an answer <laughs> or have a do over and you're just giving your answer as in the moment on what you're thinking at that, at that time. And, and that's, people are hearing the real you, you know? And I think uh, we don't get enough of that these days. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. Well, let's steer back into gardening for a minute. I know, Joe, everybody's out there. Uh, I don't think there's a person in the United States right now that are looking at food prices at the grocery store saying, wow, this feels like a really good deal right now. (laughs) That are going, hey, maybe gardening is good for me to start thinking about that. uh, Maybe that patch of grass in the backyard could better be used instead of me mowing it every year. Maybe I need to to put put some raised beds and stuff back there. Yeah. Where should someone kind of start? I know it's late the season right now, so maybe it's not yeah. the best time to to go dive into that, but for next year if they're going to go, "Hey, this rest of the summer I'm going to get ready for spring."
1: Yes. Figure out what you like to eat first. You know, grow what you like to eat. Like like um I'm not I'm not an eggplant lover. I'm just thinking about that because I'm looking at I'm looking at my big garden right now and I grow eggplant because it's a beautiful plant to grow, but I don't get really excited about the harvest part. So, <laughs> I don't give it as much attention as I do my tomatoes, which are my, you know, my Woo-hoo. ultimate thing. And yet, yeah, and yet yeah. they're not that easy to grow. You know, people talk about, well, just grow some tomatoes and- You know, sometimes blind luck will help you have some awesome tomatoes, but along the way, especially if you live in a hot, humid area like I do, there's a heck of a lot of diseases and challenges and bugs and things that want your tomatoes too. So to your point is grow, think about what you want to eat first of all, because you're going to be more excited to grow that because you're going to be looking forward to the harvest. And so that's going to lead you to pay more attention to it. But what I always try to tell people who are kind of new at this is like, you're going to be so wanting to hit the ground running and dive in with both feet because you know you're going to get the bug Mm -hmm. but if you overdo it early you're going to burn out really fast because it's (laughs) going to get hot and it's going to get humid and the bugs are going to come out you're going to think and the weeds are going to show up and it's like this isn't that fun but if you if you pace yourself and you don't bite off more than you can chew you can always expand your garden and you can add to it but i don't want people to get overwhelmed because if you do it right the garden's going to take off. And then all of a sudden you're going to be looking at this jungle out there and you're going to be thinking about it as work rather than fun. And then you're done. And it's like, it was, a, you're a one hit wonder. And I don't want to ever see that happen to people. So I like, I like to encourage people to just pace themselves and then find the right location first. Cause most of the edible stuff needs full sun. And, uh, in that helps a lot. It's not total requirement, but it will help your success tremendously.
2: You, you hit yeah, the nail on sense. the head. That is such good advice to our audience because during COVID, mm-hmm. we did our first garden. And Eric will tell you how big was the garden, mm-hmm. Eric. It was ginormous. It was literally a quarter <laughs> yeah, like of an a acre a quarter big.
0: acre garden out there. Ah, uh, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Now
2: for yep. two years, I did happened? it. Two years, I did it. Yeah. And we grew everything. Yeah. I had a green thumb, I have to say. But then I burnt out oh, because it was so yeah. big. And this year, I said, that's it. I can't do it. I don't have time to do it this year. And see, it was bad.
1: Yep yeah um the, you're not alone, that is so common and and I uh you know all I know these days is just growing a big garden, so I don't know how to go backwards on it, but for those <laughs> no. who had the option and told like you did, here you are you know a year or two later, and that is such a common story so anyway, for you and everybody else that's listening uh, if if you haven't started or you're thinking about maybe someday doing it again, just back off on, on the volume that you you're doing and just build on it from, build on your success slowly. Uh, and I think that'll, that'll change things for you.
2: Going into the fall, Joe, and I have so many questions because don't let me take over, but Eric knows I love gardening and I have so much gardening (laughs) questions going into the fall. What are some things? Can we plant some things? If you did want to start that are going to do well, maybe pumpkin, not sure.
1: Well, pump, pumpkins have like a 120 day growing cycle. So yeah. those need to be in the ground now. But let me just tell you, fall for me is my favorite time. You know, if it wasn't for tomatoes, I don't even, you know, I'd probably maybe try to take a summer off and just look forward <laughs> to fall gardening because all your leafy crops, you know, your spinach, your broccoli, your cabbage, your lettuce, your kale, your Brussels sprouts, uh, your arugula, all of this Great green leafy veggies that won't grow in the heat of the summer mm-hmm. thrive in fall. And some plants even do better with a kiss of frost on them, like the Brussels sprouts and the broccoli mm-hmm. and all and beets and all of these things just get sweeter as they have an opportunity to grow out through some cold weather. Not to mention for the gardener, you're not sweating, you're not dealing with humidity, you're not dealing with the pests and diseases. And so it's a really sweet opportunity. And I tell people that don't garden in the fall, you're missing the best opportunity the opportunity there is to grow some of the most amazing food without all the pain and suffering of summer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you can do it. You nice. can do it. That's, See, Eric, it's not uh, too late for you with your cool temperatures there.
0: Well, see, but I, I've got some weird stuff that I want to grow next year that I'm going to, and I have challenges at my house because I live here and I've got 350 year old fir trees around my yeah, property. So yeah, yeah. I have only probably a 15 by 15 foot area that in the yard that gets three quarter sun, but it's yeah. not full sun. So it doesn't get morning, but it gets, you know, afternoon, evening sun. So it's pretty decent. That's kind of my little area I have to work with.
1: Yeah. And Eric, with the thing about that is, and this is something for anybody who has either limited space or limited sun, grow bags or containers. And grow bags to me are like the easiest thing ever because they come in all different sizes. At the end of the season, you just fold them up or stuff them in a box or a bag and put them away. And uh, they're they're super portable. They have handles. They're not as heavy as a big clay terracotta pot. It's just basically synthetic fabric. And uh, you can put them anywhere. So in your little 15 feet area of three quarter sun, you're going to grow your leafy crops, your lettuce, your fast growing things, your spinach, all of that stuff that, you know, we talk about, you know, Caroline, back to the blueberries and stuff and nothing tastes as good as the Mm -hmm. stuff you grow at home. The lettuce, uh, uh, the broccoli, none of that stuff is going to be sweeter ever than what you grow at your house. And case in point, you know, my kids aren't big vegetable lovers, but when- when they taste stuff that comes from the garden compared to what we tried to make them eat from the grocery store, there's no comparison. No. And they actually look forward to yeah, Amazing, the stuff out of the it? garden. Yeah. yeah. So my goal for next year, and I'm,
0: I'm calling it right now, so I, it'll force me to do it for next year, is to have uh,
1: some San Marzano Uh-oh. tomatoes. Yeah. Now, are you going to can them and preserve them and make sauce with them too? Or what are you yes. going to do with them? Yeah. Because yeah, my wife's Italian, mm-hmm. so it's, you know, okay. I
0: want to get the real deal if you know what I mean.
1: Sam Marzano is like the best one for that. So Yeah. Joe, you
2: would have laughed when I (laughs) when I did the garden for two years and we planted tomatoes, everything came up. I had I don't even know. 30 <laughs> plants of tomatoes that were in full bloom. I, I don't know if it's just Jersey. It was Jersey luck for sure. And people were like, I can't believe you did this on your first go. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it was
1: awesome. And so did you end up with all the, so many tomatoes? You didn't know what to do with them? Oh
2: my God. And thank God, like someone in the house makes sauce because it was like, we had, yeah, so. Yeah. and I, it was incredible, but I want to talk to you about something, which I found interesting. My first year doing it, I came out And I would check on the plants every day and they were doing fantastic. And I saw, I'm like, I went out during the morning, came out in the afternoon and the plant, the tomato plant, which was probably like the size of my shoulders, right? I'm like five, two. Uh So it was like short.
1: Okay.
2: I look and I go, where did my plant go? The plant was gone within four hours that it looked, had something had eaten it. And I'm like looking Uh around and we had a fence that was an eight foot fence. And I'm like, a deer had to have come in and eaten this thing. And I'm like looking around, looking around and I'm an amateur. So I had no idea. And I, and I go in, come out. Now it's like maybe three hours later. And the next plant totally demolished, gone. And I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? So I call some people and they come over and they show me these hornworms that were so big. They were those giant Like they look like caterpillars, Eric, but they're like about, I don't know, half an I've inch around. They look like yeah. aliens. I filmed it for YouTube and it was my or my uh Facebook, and that got the most views out of any video I'd ever put on. And they ate the entire bushes in like an hour. They're like prehistoric. They that, that A hornworm, right? Well said. And that right?
1: that's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the tomato hornworm and the yes. tobacco hornworm. They're closely related. They look very much the same, but Nasty. they have that horn on the back and they're big fat green things. And um, they will decimate your tomatoes, kind of your plants overnight. Pretty much, they'll just take it down. Oh. Or do, like in your case, it sounds like during the two day. hours.
2: It was like two. Ho- Eric, yeah. if you saw this, they have like an alien face, and they come out and they're like their teeth, <laughs> and they're like,
0: rawr, yeah. Rawr. wow, <laughs> yeah, wow. We don't have those out here that I've seen at least that I've ever run into. But <sighs> maybe
1: not. But yeah, that's they're okay. They're, they're they're uh they're very active here this this year in my garden. But here's the thing. Caroline, I don't know if you saw this, but if you left them alone or you missed one and you didn't notice it, and then you walk out one day and there's that hornworm and it has all these little what looks like rice those, grains stuck yep. on its back. They're, mm-hmm. c- they're cocoons. Mm. There's, a co- there's a there's a there's paras- a parasitoid wasp that lands on the back of the hornworm. They can sense the they can sense the presence of the hornworm through a um, through um, volatile chemicals that the plant emits to let the Parasitoid wasp know that the hornworm is on the plant. It comes and lands on the back of the worm, lays eggs into the worm. The eggs hatch inside the worms. The larvae eat out the inside of the worm. This is kind of gross, but it's nature. Yeah, it's nature. Eats out the inside of the worm. The non-essential tissue first because they don't want the worm to die because it's their food source. And then they pupate by forming little cocoons. They bore back out through the back of the hornworm in little tiny cocoons that look like grains of rice. And then in, in about a week later, those grains of rice, they bore out the top and they are new parasitic, parasitoid wasp to go out and do the pest control for you. So my story, my point is, Isn't if you ever see that on the back of your hornworm, that hornworm is done. It's not gonna, it's done eating, it's dying. And yeah. you've got all these, these new soldiers to help you in your, fight against future hornworms it's so crazy though it's awesome i had no idea they decimated
2: before i could even get to them though they were like i had to do something we had to find them all and take care of them because they were gonna eat everything it was insane
1: they are voracious there's no (laughs) doubt about it (laughs) voracious is a good word wild (laughs) Yes, that
0: is wild well one of the things that i've always jumped on with people you know doing raised garden beds because you know that's always been a uh A big thing over the last probably decade, at least that I've seen, is I can't tell you how many times I walk into people's backyards, houses, whatever, and I get over there and I'm like, you know, you shouldn't have built those out of railroad ties, right?
1: Um, And those are some things
0: you got to be really careful with the old railroad ties because those things are jam-packed full of creosote, which is the chemicals in that can be horrible when they leach out
1: the so the EPA just flat out says don 't use them uh, if you 're growing food don 't use them but that was the thing you know they were they're, they probably still are big with landscape retaining walls, but they 're also so ubiquitous people were able to just pick them up and use them for their raised beds and it was an instant raised bed garden yeah. and I get that, but what they 're not thinking about <laughs> is like you said the, that 's bad news stuff man, and it can it can um it can get into the soil and then get drawn up. And you just, you just don't want that in your body.
0: In no, way. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. That uh, the, the chemicals in that is brutal. And on top of that, if they were used railroad ties, you also had all the oils and stuff that were coming out of the trains and, and all that other stuff and, and, and all the, you know, that the hazardous materials that are on that. And uh, yeah, no sense put that in your, in your food source, especially when you're trying to grow something that's clean, healthy and, and better than what's in the grocery store
1: um yeah i mean there's a week there's a whole list of things that you probably shouldn't use for your material when you're on your raised beds such as cinder blocks because it has fly ash and fly ash has all these heavy metals in it which can then find its way into the food supply if you if you chip it away you have to pulverize it for that to happen so if it if the it's intact you're fine but like tires i mean t- a tire garden is a kind of a novelty, cute thing. And, uh, it's easy and portable and all that. And who doesn't have, you know, some access to tires somewhere. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Not hard to find. Um,
1: but you know, that rubber is not really what you, that tire rubber is not really what you want to grow your food in either.
0: No, there's a lot of chemicals in that. And then, and when those things get broken down, all those little rubber pieces end up coming off and ending up in the soil because eventually that rubber breaks down as it gets old, it gets kind of flaky and crumbly and no sense to have that in there as well.
2: Hey, I have so many questions for Joe. So what are you doing with your garden as far as herbicides and, and what do you do? Are you organic? Do you use yeah. certain things? Because sometimes you have to, like, what is the rule? I think that's exciting to hear about.
1: Okay. That's a, I love, i so glad you asked that question. So I am an organic gardener and I do, I have, I have very, very little chemical use in my garden. I don't use any herbicides. And so I'm not, as far as weeding, you know, herbicides are used to kill back living tissue. And so that would be weeds. And, and I've got, you know, a big garden with a lot of uh, mulched pathways, but I just bend over and pick up those weeds every so often. And it's, you know, if you keep up with it and that's easier said than done oftentimes. And I that's why you're trim. That, He's very you.
2: trim and good looking because he is weeding and stays in shape because it exercises your bones and your muscles.
1: I'm telling you, to me, Weeding is zen. I, I do it early in the morning when I'm listening to the bird. I don't even listen to podcasts when I'm <laughs> weeding because I just do it early in the morning, the birds and all that stuff. And after a rain, the weeds come up really easily. So anyway, no herbicides. Pesticides for the various insects that will attack your garden. Now, let me just let people know, you know, there's of all the insects out there that we're ever going to come across. Uh, uh, if I ask people, what percentage do they think are actual pests? You know, the ones that are going to do damage to your plants. The number is only about you know what? I'm going to ask you guys, what do you think it is? Uh, what percentage of all the insects do you think are causing damage to your plants?
2: Well, I had the horn, I had the hornworm, so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the hornworm well, scared me. It, yeah.
1: Eric nailed it right off the bat. It's it's no more than 3%. So, if you do the math, that means 97% are either beneficial or neutral. So, that's one reason right there why we don't want to go out and spray to kill one minuscule Small percentage when you have all these other insects that are potentially beneficial. And here's something else people need to know the number one way that you increase your pest problem is to spray with pesticides. And the reason for that is most of the pests have developed a tolerance for a lot of those chemicals. So if you kill them off, they're able to reproduce and come back quickly in mass because what hasn't built up a tolerance are the beneficial insects that were probably in your garden at the same time. (laughs) And the pesticides cannot differentiate between the good guys and the bad guys. So anything they land on, they're killing, which means we take out all the good guys that were keeping our pest in check or could have been, but now they're dead and the pests are coming back in force without any competition. So you just made your situation worse. So I don't use pesticides because I have a really biodiverse garden with a lot of nice uh, flowers and things that bring in beneficial insects and the peritosoid wasp and all of those things that are going to go out there and do my pest control. And then I just, I'm out there every morning when I can be looking for any threats. And if I see them like caterpillars or hornworms eating my plants, I'm going to pull them off. And um, if you can stay ahead of the problem, and I always use the word being proactive, if you can be proactive and looking for diseases or pests and catch it before it gets to become a big deal, you can pretty much stay on top of it, which means you don't have to resort to these chemicals that can be pretty harsh.
0: Nice. Well, I've got a tomato question for you. Bring it. What is the best
1: way to support tomatoes? It's always a Mm, challenge for me. That's a good question. Okay, you guys, when you get a chance, Google ultimate tomato cage because I created this cage back when I got- Sick and tired of trying to figure out the best way to support tomatoes. And you know, the the standard stupid cone that costs five That's bucks. What I made use out the of
2: cone, the metal <laughs> coat hanger cone.
1: wire. I mean, it's not even sturdy. And yeah. and the thing is, if we grow these indeterminate tomatoes, which are the ones that keep growing and they grow and they grow, it's gonna outgrow the, cone. the cone. It's actually gonna it outgrow does. anything. Yeah. But but um the, I so I use Eric I use a livestock panel which you get at a tractor yeah. like tractor supply or a farm mm-hmm. supply store they're 16 feet long and they're about 5 feet tall mm-hmm. but if you get some bolt cutters I I did a post on my website at Joe Gardner about it and showed people okay. how to make them and let me just tell you people go nuts over them I they're brilliant. stackable at the end of the season they're made out of galvanized wire so they're not going to rust they, they look good anyway there's your answer and um <sighs> people go so nuts over it. I got to tell you, they love them. Make them I love what, 18 them.
0: 18 or 24 inches square and just big square and go up, they're, right?
1: Yeah. They're square. They're, they're two pieces that you put, cut into a, bend mm-hmm. into an L shape and you yep. put them together into a square and they're, you know, however tall you want to cut them to, but mine are about six feet tall. They're sturdy as can be because I've, they, they stick into the ground and they're not going anywhere. And then at the end of the season, you just take them, you pull them up and they stack because they're, they're square. You're able to stack them on top of each they're other. you are not a cone that you're trying to stack. Right. <laughs> right. Or a big round hoop thing. Yeah. So so check it out. And I'm telling you, you'll never go back. Uh it's it's pretty awesome.
0: Dude, brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> you think about it, it's like, what, how come we got this far without somebody doing that? Right? I mean,
1: that's I've struggled I with
0: cones forever and trying to deal with that. And didn't matter if I got like the super expensive heavy wire one that was powder coated; they all just suck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I was the same way, Eric. That's why I did that. And and the reason I will say, you know, forever people have been using the concrete reinforcement wire. You buy it by the roll at the box store, and it costs 120 bucks, and you can make a bunch of wire round cages out of them. Which you know they're they're good, but they rust like in the first year, and they don't last that long because the spikes will break off because they've mm-hmm. rusted. And then at the end of the season, getting back to my point of storing them, you can't unroll them and me- flatten them out because they have that memory. They just want to go back. So they're hard to store, and you have all these storing. round hooks everywhere.
2: Storing was yeah, the biggest. Yeah. I have so
1: many cones
2: of the the cones yeah. everywhere, the stainless, it, what are they, stainless steel, I guess, that go all the way up. And they're great because they, they last, yeah. but you've got to have a lot of space to store them.
1: Yeah, and so your happiest day will be uh, when you store your tomato cages and they just stack on top of each That's other. Nice. And I've got, I probably I think I've probably got about seventy cages, and and the footprint is about six feet wide and maybe five feet tall.
0: Wow! Oh. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. It's that nice. is awesome. That's game changer on tomatoes. It is. Right it's a there. game changer.
1: Yeah. And I was, it was, you know, they talk about, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And that's why I thought, what am I going to, because I live on a small farm, we've got five acres. And so these livestock Mm -hmm. panels are around for other reasons. And I thought, I was looking at those one day and I said, man, those things are sturdy. I bet I could do something with those to help support my tomatoes. And it just started, it just kind of, I'm not very, I'm not an engineer or anything like that, (sighs) but it just I thought, well, I need it to be this high and I need it to be this wide and how do I bend it to get there? And next thing I knew, I had my cage and I'm like, oh my God, this is- Ultimate DIY, see? You fit right in and do it yourself. Ultimate tomato cage, yeah, (laughs) yeah. That is great. And, and if I may, those cages can be used for all kinds of things. You can grow squash up them. You can grow peppers up because the cage makes another cage. The piece itself can make two cages. One's big and one's small, but that's perfect for your eggplant and your peppers or all these other things. And then a million and one uses, you end up realizing that they have a lot of potential in the garden. So just try it and see. You'll see what I mean. So, how did you get into gardening?
2: How did you end up here? You need to tell us. Like, this is.
1: Okay. I grew up in Miami and I was the Mm -hmm. youngest of four boys. And my next oldest brother was five years older than me. So, when I was eight years old and he's 13, it's like, he don't want to hang out with an eight-year-old. So, he's off Mm -hmm. doing his thing. So, it's me and dad on the weekend and dad's out there cutting the grass. He's the weekend warrior, right? Not a gardener, but the guy that likes Mm -hmm. to have the edge driveway and the clip, you know, the lawn looks good and all that. So, I would just follow him. All weekend. And one Saturday, and this I remember this, which is why I can tell it like I do. Uh, he went in at the end of the day, he'd done all his work and everything looked great. And I still had a lot of energy. And I'm running around the yard. And I end up running by one of the plants he had just pruned and looked really good. And I broke the branch, broke one of the branches on it. And I thought, Ugh! so I didn't want to get in trouble. So I thought, what am I going to do? Not that he would have cared, but no. anyway, I stuck yeah. the branch into the ground right by the base and I covered it up, you know, with the soil. And then I just, you know hoped I wouldn't get caught and, and he never noticed. But anyway, I went back by that plant about, I don't know, two months later or something like that. And I re- I remembered, Oh my God, I, that's just, this is the one I broke the branch on, but where, where's the dead pr- plant or where's the dead branch? I couldn't find it. But what had happened is it had rooted and it had started hey, putting wow. out new, new growth. And it was, it blew my mind. It was like, this is too cool. And I, today I think that's the moment in time I became hooked on horticulture is what I say. That's and, so amazing. And from that moment, Eric and yeah. yeah. Carolina never stopped wanting to know more about how stuff grew and I started growing everything. And I've never looked back.
2: How cool is that Ranger, that's you meant grew up like
0: I did. I Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. yeah. I'm the, the oldest of
0: four boys. Uh-oh. So I'm the oldest of four boys with three Uh-oh. younger brothers and had the weekend warrior dad. So <laughs> yeah, I, can, cool. I can understand where you're at there. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. But I love it because, you know, like I said early on, no two years are the same. So you're always, you're always wanting to understand why it's different this year. And so I love that part about it. I love the science behind it. And I'm just in awe of how cool stuff is when you understand like the tomato hornworm and the Cotesia <laughs> moth that lays its eggs. And I was like, mm-hmm. that stuff blows my mind. And there's, th- the more you start inquiring about things like that, the more you realize there's a lot of that stuff out there. And it just, it's so interesting to me. And I just can't get my head around it all. But that's, that's why I love it so much. It's never boring.
0: No, no. And we've had our challenges out here in, in, on the West Coast. Cause you know, a couple summers ago, we had an issue with people's gardens and everything else is we had, Smoke for weeks on end that was like fog. Oh, yeah. And that's so, right. you know, the 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 wineries were having problems because they were worried about how the smoke was going to impact the skins. You know, we'd get a, a little mist of rain come through and it would wash all that particulate matter down on the plants, and then yeah. we'd get. you know it was a really interesting time watching what was coming out of your garden, what was coming out of the wine, what was coming out of all that stuff. It was fascinating to watch.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that was a unique year too. So there you go. Not exactly. one you'd want to repeat if you could avoid it, but.
0: No, nah, nah, that was not fun, but uh, no. it was interesting to watch and, and how some wineries had great wine coming out and some had maybe hmm. not as great as what they normal would have. It just, just because of smoke in the air. So it's, it's fascinating to see it how is. that changes stuff.
1: Yeah, it is.
2: All right. I've got the, I've got the question to test your soil or not test your soil. What is the yeah, answer? Absolutely.
1: The answer is yep. to test your soil and you don't need to do it every year, but you should do it. You should do it about every two years. And here's, here's one of the main reasons why people, you know, we hear about fertilizer and nutrients and of course plants need it and we need it. And we think, well, you know, if some is good, more is better. But with plants, you can, you can basically kind of pollute your soil or kill off the, all the biology in the soil because man-made fertilizers, which are full of, great nutrients also have kind of a salt base to them. And when you put so much of that into the, a lot of that can just build up and healthy soil oftentimes has the nutrients that the plants need already. But if you add on top of that, more of that, that can be too much of a good thing and that's not a good thing. And so that can cause adverse impact on your plants and they can, they can, it can promote disease and it can actually reverse its growth cycle. So, I say that because if you know the condition of your soil and the nutrients that are deficient because of the soil test, you can know what to add in the quantities that you need to get it right. But the other thing that the soil test does is it tells you what nutrients are in your soil so that you don't blindly add nutrients that you don't need to add, which can exacerbate your whole natural rhythm of your soil. So yes, do the soil test. Not only to find out what you need, but to find out what you don't need. So you're not adding stuff that can actually make it worse.
2: Is there a place nice. that you recommend testing the soil mm-hmm. that offers the best information?
1: It, I, I like to support your county extension service because mm-hmm. they offer soil tests through the state university system. The land grant universities usually have a really great soil lab. And for a nominal fee, it might be around averaging $15 a year uh, or $15 a test. You can get a really comprehensive report, and probably for you, Carolina, it's Rutgers, mm-hmm, and it they've got a great program and a great report, and it just tells you all that stuff. And the nice thing about it is, you they send you the kit or you whatever they get you get the bag and the instructions and the collection device, and you just mail it back or whatever. But you like you tell them, hey, I'm growing blueberries this year, and I want to know what kind of soil to make ideal for blueberry growing, and so by telling them what it is you want to grow, they'll dial in the specifications for creating the best soil for blueberries, cool. which is a really low pH. Right. But if you didn't tell them that and you're just like, I want to grow tomatoes. Well, that's a yeah. different kind of a treatment for your soil. So that's what a soil test will do for you. But these days you can also go online. There's private labs and for 30 bucks, you can, you can buy online kits and those reports are just as good. And in some cases a little bit better because they can give you organic recommendations or synthetic or both depending on whether you're an organic gardener or just a regular, you know, non-organic. So, um, soil test is, is a, you just need to do it and, yeah, okay. and it'll help you be have better crops or so lawn or a, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah.
0: I got a question for you on that, talking about soil. So, in my area here, we have a lot of recycling and stuff because we're heavy recyclers up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And our yard waste goes in and it goes into the, into, you know, the, the different municipalities, but they make compost out of it. Right. And, you know, that can be used by many gardeners out there, but how do you know that you're getting what you need with compost? Because a lot of times, right, it's just depending on what's showing up at the, at the recycle place to turn into compost.
1: Man, you, you, you really, you nailed a hot topic. So- so, all these trucks are pulling into the tipping station and they're dumping out their yard debris and their, their landscape waste and all this stuff. And uh, some of that may include chemicals that have been put down, maybe not so much in the home environment because although they're using herbicides, they're not so persistent. They don't last more than a few weeks when they've been exposed to UV light. So, they break down quickly in in a composting environment. But then- on a commercial scale with farmers, for example, and I don't even think in your state, Eric, this, these, these chemicals are allowed, but there are some Mm -hmm. that are, that are so literally persistent. They don't break down like in farm fields where farmers are are growing out uh, forage crops, like hay. They'll put down a chemical in many states, including mine, that will kill the broadleaf weeds in that, that field, but it'll protect mm-hmm. the grass. So all you're going to end up with is pristine grass and no weeds. So when they're harvesting the hay, you got really nice hay, no weeds are in it. But it's because this chemical killed off all the broadleaf weeds. But the chemical is in the grass; it just hasn't impacted the grass. So now you feed it to the horses. The horses poop it out. You you compost it for a long time. You got this great stuff that you want to put in your garden. Um, but that chemical is still as active. Two years later composted as it was the day the farmer put it down in the field and now you put it in your garden soil and it's killing your plants and this is a big problem and the problem is there's no really way to police that you know because these tipping stations say well we you're not allowed to bring this in but how do you police every truck that comes in with maybe a little bit of that because here's the scary thing those Herbicides are potent down to parts per billion, and I'm talking about four <sighs> parts per billion, five parts per billion. How do you even get down yeah. to that number? So yeah. anyway, uh, that was a long way of saying it's it's um it's an issue that you need to think about. And to your point, sometimes and hopefully all the time, the municipalities that offer compost to consumers are testing their finished product and they're analyzing it for persistent herbicides and harmful materials like heavy metals and things that you would not want to put into your garden soil. So, you got to ask for that. Sometimes they publish it and it's just there, but most people don't know to look for it and you need to ask for that. Um, But I always want people to just learn to make their own compost because that's the only way you can really know for sure.
0: We have a popular compost here that comes out of the zoo.
1: Yeah, so it's all the animal
0: waste out of the oh, zoo that goes no. into that, and it is the kind of the zoo manure Z- compost. But man, people love that around here. Yeah, uh, they, they fight for that stuff
1: as they should. That's that's amazing stuff. That's um that's what you want. Is is that the stuff they call zoo do, or is that yep. another pretty yeah? much? Yep, that's amazing. Yeah. So the thing like. At our farm, we've got the horses and we've got the goats and the Mm -hmm. chickens, but our horses eat that hay that has that persistent herbicide because we can't even find hay that is organic around here because it's Mm -hmm. expensive to grow that out and not many farmers are doing that. Uh, And so, although we have amazing piles of manure that have been composted that I would love to use in my garden, I can't because I know it's got herbicide. And the reason I know it a few reasons now, but the first year I moved to my farm, I already knew about this problem, but I said, well, I've got this huge pile of composted manure from my horses. I'm going to use it in my new garden. And um, even though I warned warned everybody about it, I still did it on my own garden. And (laughs) I ruined my soil for four years because of that. Yeah. So, I learned the hard way, even though I knew better, I still did it and I was stupid. But- and you know, that's the thing about gardening. You learn from your mistakes. I call them opportunities, learning opportunities, but you never forget them, and that's one I will never forget. Joe, a lot of those.
2: I don't want to go in the weeds on this, but I'm so fascinated by this conversation. <laughs> <In the> weeds <laughs> I'm, I'm an environmental consultant, so my job is to find Uh-oh, all nice. these lovely things that people end up, you know, using and end up in our environments. And so, I was one of the first people in the country to test for glyphosate in homes. And so, what I found wow. was that glyphosate, which you know is an herbicide, people yeah. have access to it at, you know, a garden center or even at, you know, your local box store. Yeah. They utilize it. It actually gets airborne as we're talking about in these little, you know, PPBs, right? These very small amounts. And it actually yeah. ends up in your ductwork in your HVAC system. And so I was fortunate to be one of the first people in the country to test for this and to discover it. And so when people use these on their lawns, on their walkways, in their garden, wherever they're using these, they become not only a detriment to the environment and and what you're growing, but to you and they end up in your home. So my question is, why is it that we know these things, right? We know that this is not the way to go. We know that we can grow things without it. Why are we using these things in the first place? in our gardens, in our food chain and, and the such.
1: Man, I love that question. And, and I kind of think the answer comes down to the fact that people hate weeds more than they care about, more than they think that risk of getting into their bodies to the point that it's going to cause detriment is a thing. I just think yeah, I just, I just think the, the weeds had them thinking, I hate them so much, I don't care what it takes. And, and you know, it's like, you, you know, why do we smoke or drink or do what we do that we know isn't healthy for our bodies? Why do we eat those things that we know, you know, aren't great? But we do it anyway because that, that outcome that we get from the thing that we want to do is greater than our inner sense of policing our own bodies. Mm-hmm. and um i think i think that's it and do you, you know, think it's foods?
2: marketing that they've trained us so much to hate a weed i mean because really what's the downside to a weed right i mean it looks ugly it kind of messes with your garden but outside of that we're trained to think it's this terrible thing
1: well that's a good point point. and you know the real definition of a weed is just a plant out of place right. but okay. back in the day uh you know lawns. <laughs> the grass seed for in the consumer market just had clover seed in it and stuff like yeah. that and mm-hmm. that was just the way lawns were until somebody realized well gosh you know we could make people think that the uh, clover's a bad thing and give them something that could kill that clover in the lawn so they just have fescue I love clover forever. don't
2: you I grew up with clover yeah. in my lawn oh my like God. it's just a natural thing to my mm-hmm. lawn
1: if yeah. if people have clover in their lawn and they and they allow it to bloom it's amazing how many bees and and native pollinators, mm-hmm. native bees, are actively taking uh, pollen from the uh, from the blooms. It's incredible. I uh, half my grass is clover because I don't too. use the herbicide. Yeah, me too. So well, it's to funny. I, I, yeah, I've got a, I
0: did I did clover here. I've got my front half. I'm going to be redoing mm-hmm. the whole front of my property. I've got a a half acre, and it was mm-hmm. just. It was just all nauseous weeds and stuff that was growing up around the, around the forest trees. It was just all junk stuff up there. And I went through and cleared it out with an excavator and got rid of all that stuff and, and knocked it back. But I needed to going into the Portland winter to be able to control the dirt and soil. Cause I didn't want it all running off. I planted red clover up there and it was
1: awesome. Yeah, yeah no, that's my, uh, My, one of my team members did that, her whole lawn, she just seeded red clover and she's got a red clover lawn and her wildlife is going nuts and it's, it's, you know, she's got the best garden she's ever had. Yeah. And and Caroline, back to your question real quick about, you know, making the the marketing and people thinking about, uh, how weeds are really bad, but Mm -hmm. I think people just want a quick fix. And so having something that they can just go out and spray and be done with it is easy. And, you know, it's fairly cost effective. And then the weeds are, they, they can see that the weeds are dying, you know, a week later and they're done with it versus pulling it or, you know, not cutting your grasses low and dealing with a higher lawn or, you know, trying to do something that may be a longer process to reduce the weeds or just learn to live with them. I just, I just don't think as a society or as a mindset, we're there yet. And then you've got the HOAs that say, Hey, your lawn's got too many weeds in it. There's that. So there's a lot of forces at play against allowing a few weeds in our lawn and the social pressure to have a weed-free environment. Keep up with the
2: Joneses. No, have some weeds, people. (laughs) Trust me, don't go use these herbicides and pesticides. There is a direct correlation to your health. So Mm
0: -hmm. just
2: do what Joe says.
0: (laughs) Well, Joe, we're starting to run out of time here because this is going to be the fastest hour we do. (laughs) Let's talk about you for a little bit on the on the different ways that people can track you down. Cause okay. you're on it just about anywhere out there.
1: I am. Uh JoeGardener.com is the website where we've kind of as our hub for information. And there's links there to, you know, our our YouTube channels and our podcast, of course, and Instagram. I'm at Joe Gardener. So any if you can just remember Joe Gardiner, and I say it that way because you got to spell it right, J-O-E-G-A-R-D-E-N-E-R, Gardener, not Gardener. You know, there's an extra <laughs> yep. E in there. Yep. Um, but um, I'm, I'm most active in social. I'm active on Instagram mostly, and I'm trying to I, – I like to post there just because it's easy, and um, it's great teaching opportunities, and the format's good, and I like nice pictures. So I, I gravitate to that, and um, I respond to most people, so there's that. And the Online Gardening Academy, for those that really want to go deep on a particular gardening subject, like learning to grow epic tomatoes or beginning gardener fundamentals or managing pest diseases and weeds, we've created courses where people can um, learn pretty deep on those subject matters. So that's com slash learn to learn more there. Nice. So those are, and then the, the television show, the last thing I'll say is Growing yeah. a Greener World, the national show on PBS is uh, is called Growing a Greener World. And we ha- we're in our 13th season. And we travel all over the country to tell the stories of other people doing really cool things for the planet through gardening, with uh, while light lightening their environmental footprint, which is really important too. I like that. Nice. And then yeah. you've got some books and stuff, don't you? I do. I have two books out, and my newest book is coming out in two months. It's called uh, The Vegetable Gardening Book: Your Complete Guide to Growing an Organic Vegetable Garden from Seed to Harvest. And I'm really pumped about that one because it's good. It's, it's nice. it's, That's it's comprehensive. Yeah. And it's out there for pre-sale now. And, um, and I hope people will check that out. Cause if you want to learn how to grow food, no matter where you are in the process, if you're brand new or you've been at it a long time, this inf- there's a lot of information in there that you will learn. Uh, so that's, that's All pretty right. fun. Yeah.
0: We're going to have to bring you back and talk about that when the book's okay. coming. You're out our so guy. This
2: is our you, are our, you are our
0: gardening
1: <laughs> Let me, expert. I'll be your guy. I'll be, uh, this it. is fun. Fun for me. Good. <laughs> okay. I did too. This is awesome. Well,
0: Joe, thanks for coming on today, man. We really appreciate it, and uh, so nice having an easy, knowledgeable guest like this. It's uh, uh, this this is pleasure. this is really fun.
1: Awesome. Well, I enjoyed it too, Eric and Caroline. Thanks for having me, and I'll, I'd love to come back anytime. So just say the word. We'll do it. All right. I'm Eric G.
0: Get those gardens ready, everybody. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. House.
2: Love song, let's be lovers.